Chapter One of the Actress in High Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. The Actress in High Life, an episode in Winter Quarters by Sue Pettigrew Bowen. Chapter One. I was a traveller then upon the moor. I saw the hare that raced about with joy, I heard the woods and distant waters roar, or heard them not, as happy as a boy. The pleasant season did my heart employ. My old remembrances went from me wholly, and all the ways of men so vain and melancholy. By Wordsworth Gentle reader, wherever you may be in bodily presence, when you cast your eyes on this page, let it for a few hours transport your complying spirit to a remote region and a bygone day we may alter names without injury to our story but every real character or event has its own time place and accidents to tear it from them is like transplanting a tree from its native spot it must be trimmed and pruned and robbed of its due proportions and its natural grace here then on this lovely day near the end of the year eighteen twelve you are in alemtejo the largest poorest and in every sense worst peopled province of portugal as its name implies you are as to lisbon beyond the tagus hasten eastward over this sandy arid plain covered with a forest of stunted sea-pines through whose tops the west wind glides with monotonous and melancholy moans fit music for the wilderness around you nor need you loiter on this desolate moor scantily carpeted with heaths of different kinds and varying hues the drowsy tinkling of the cowbell amidst yonder brushwood, the goats sportively clambering over that ledge of rocks, and those distant dusky spots upon the downs, which may be sheep, tell you that all life has not left the land. You may, perchance, on your journey, see a goatherd or a shepherd here or there. By rarer chance, you may meet some wayfarer like yourself, but as likely a robber as an honest man, and may find shelter at least in one of the few and comfortable vendas, the wretched inns the route affords. You need not pause to gaze on many a wild scene, some beautiful, and even here and there a fertile spot, nor loiter in this provincial town, rich perhaps in Moorish ruins, but in nothing else, but hasten onward till you reach that elevated point where the road, one hundred miles from Lisbon, winds over the ridge of yonder hill. The chilly night winds of the peninsula have gone to sleep. Here, even in midwinter, the sun at this hour shoots down scorching rays upon your head. Seat yourself by the roadside, on this ledge of slate rock, at the foot of the cork oak, which so invitingly spreads out its sheltering arms. Here, while you take your breath, cast your eyes around you. You are no longer in the midst of broken, desolate wastes. To the southwest rises the Serra Dosa, its sides clothed with evergreen oaks and a dense growth of underbrush sheltering the wolf and the wild boar, while the northern slope of its rocky ridge is thatched with snow, before you is spread out the valley of the Guadiana. Sloping downward toward the mighty stream lie pasture, grove, and field gaily mingled together. There to the east sits Elvis, on a lofty hill whose sides are covered with vineyards, olive-yards, and orchards, and just north of it, on a yet loftier peak with a deep narrow valley lying between them, stands the crowning castle of La Lipa, the strongest fortress in Portugal far beyond but plainly seen through the clear atmosphere of the peninsula now doubly transparent since it has been purified by the heavy rains which here usher in the winter rises the blue mountain of albuquerque far away in spanish estramadura 
whichever way you look sierras nearer or more distant tower above the horizon or fringe its utmost verge among these scenes of nature's handiwork a production of human art demands your attention see on your right the beginning of the ancient aqueduct reared by moorish hands which leads the pure mountain stream for three miles across the valley to the city seated on the hill here the masonry is but a foot or two above the ground below the road will lead you under its three tiers of arches with the water gliding an hundred feet above your head but here comes a native of this region to enliven if not adorn the landscape this lean swarthy young fellow under his sombrero with ample brim exhibits a fair specimen of the peasants of alemtejo his sheepskin jacket hangs loosely from his shoulders and between his nether garment and his clumsy shoes he displays the greater part of a pair of sinewy legs which would be brown were they not so well powdered with the slate dusk of the rocky road he travels with a long goad he urges on the panting beasts yoked to the rudest of all vehicles the bullock cart of portugal its low wheels made of solid wooden blocks are fastened to the axle-tree which turns with them and at every step squeaks out complaining notes under the burden of a cask of the muddy and little prized wine of the province which is seeking a market at elvis the carter is now overtaken by a peasant girl who with basket on her arm has been gathering chestnuts and balotas in the wood they are no strangers to each other and she exchanges her brisk elastic step for a pace better suited to that of the toiling oxen the beauty of this dusky belle consists of a smiling mouth bright black eyes and youth and health though fond of gaudy colours she is not overdressed a light handkerchief rather binds her raven hair than covers her head her bright blue petticoat scanty in length and her orange-coloured spencer open in front both well worn and showing here and there a rent but half conceal the graces of her form and a pair of nimble feet scorning the trammels of leather pick their way skilfully along the stony path that she does not contemn ornament is shown by her one small golden earring long since divorced from its mate and the devout faith which glows in her bosom is symbolized by the little silver image of our lady slung from her neck by a silken cord spun by her own silkworms and twisted by her own hands in short she is neither beautiful nor noble nor rich yet her company seems instantly to smooth the road and lighten the toils of travel to her swain he helps himself unasked out of her basket and urges her to partake of the stores of his leathern wallet hard goat's cheese and the crumbling loaf of broa or maize bread soon in deep and sweet conference in their crabbed but expressive tongue he forgets to make occasional use of his goad and thus keeping pace with the loitering bullocks they go leisurely along let them pass on and wait for better game turn and look at this cavalcade toiling up toward you a sudden bend in the road has brought it into view and its aspect half native half foreign its mixed civil and military character attract attention two mounted orderlies in a british uniform lead the way and are followed by a clumsy lisbon coach every part of it well laden with luggage it is drawn by four noble mules such as are seldom seen out of the peninsula deserving more stylish postilions than those who in ragged jackets greasy leathern breeches and huge jack boots are urging them on two men sit at ease on the coach-box one a tall young fellow looks at a distance like a field officer in a flashy uniform but is only an english footman in a gaudy livery who needs the training of a london winter or two in a fashionable household to make him a flunky of the first water the other an old man with a severe countenance is plainly dressed but with a less brilliant exterior has a more respectable air than his companion 
he too is the man in authority as from time to time he directs the party and urges them on in somewhat impatient tones if you are familiar with the country and the times you may imagine that some british general officer has been so long in the peninsula that he has adopted the style and equipage of cuesta and some other spanish leaders and fallen into their habits of slow and dignified motion you will think it high time for him to be sent home that some one less luxurious and stately but more alert and energetic may fill his place one look into the coach will undeceive you its chief occupant is a lady whose years do not exceed nineteen and she is evidently no native of alemtejo nor of portugal and she might have been sent out hither as a specimen of what a more northern country can occasionally produce while she looks out with deep yet lively interest on the scenery before and around her you naturally gaze with deeper interest only upon her her companion is her maid some years older than herself who might be worth looking at were her mistress out of the way one of the orderlies turning in his saddle now points out the city to the old man who in turn leans over to the coach window and calls out my lady there is elvis and my father is an elvis she leans eagerly out of the window but the front of the clumsy vehicle obstructs the view and she calls out stop the coach moody and let me out i will not go one step further until i have taken a good look at elvis the old man testily orders a halt the footman opens the door and the lady springs lightly out followed by her maid neglecting all other objects in sight she gazes long and eagerly at the city seated on the hill the interest she shows is no longer merely that of observant curiosity but is prompted by the gushing affections of the heart in elvis besides much new and strange there is something known and loved she now begins to question the orderlies as to the exact spot where her father has quartered himself but the old man interrupts her you have travelled a long way my lady to get to elvis but you will never reach it while you stand looking at it and spiring about it very true old wisdom how comes it that you are always in the right let us push on now and in an hour she exclaims stepping into the coach i will see my father for the first time since i was fourteen the coach moves on but too slowly for her leaning out of the window and surveying the road she calls out gaily our way lies downhill moody and they tell me that mules are so sure-footed that they never stumble pray buy or borrow that long goad from the young gentleman in the sheepskin jacket by skilful use of it you might mend our pace and bring us sooner to elvis we will leave this impatient lady to hasten on to elvis whether expedited or not by the use of the goad to inquire the occasion of her journey thither for five years the peninsula has been one battlefield and the present has been one of unceasing activity to the british troops beginning the year by suddenly crossing the frontier and investing ciudad rodrigo they had taken it by storm in january while the french were preparing to relieve it equally unexpectedly crossing the tagus and the guadiana they had sat down before the strong fortress of the badajos and to save a few precious days in which soult and marmont might have united their host to its rescue they in april took it in a bloody assault buying immediate possession of the price of more than a thousand precious lives no sooner had the disappointed marshals withdrawn their armies to less exhausted regions than the forts of almarez were surprised in may and the direct route of communication between them cut off the british army then invaded spain on the side of the kingdom of Lyon. 
the forts of salamanca fell before them in june and in july the battle of salamanca crushed the french force in that quarter and opened the road to madrid to the british who driving thence the intrusive king acquired the control of all central spain but at length in october the castle of burgos defied their utmost efforts unaided by a siege train the french hosts from north south and east abandoning rich provinces and strong fortresses they had held for years gathered around them in overwhelming numbers and slowly reluctantly and with many a stubborn halt the english general retraced his steps towards portugal the prostrated strength of both armies put an end to the campaign the french gave up the pursuit being too hungry to march further or to fight any more and the discipline and appetites of the british soldiers were indicated on their march through the forests bordering the huebra by the fusillade opened on the herds of swine which were fattening on the acorns there for a moment their commander thought himself surprised and that the country for miles around was the scene of one widespread skirmish with the foe even hanging a few of his men did not put a stop to the disorder late in november the troops were permitted to pause for rest in the neighborhood of ciudad rodrigo with their energies prostrated and their discipline relaxed through the sieges and battles the continual marches the exposure and the want of campaigns so long and arduous as this strange it seemed to them after going so far and doing and suffering so much that they should end the campaign where they had begun it yet they had done much wrenching the larger and richer half of spain out of the grasp of the french and changing their possession of the country to a mere invasion of it such toils need long rest privations and sufferings like theirs should be repaid by no scanty measure of plenty and enjoyment the troops went into winter quarters chiefly between the duro and the tagus but as an army in this country is always in danger of starvation a brigade was sent over into alemtejo at once to make themselves comfortable and to facilitate getting up supplies from a province which now had something in it as for four years the french had been kept out of it accordingly it was absolutely refreshing to see the liberal provision made for the almost insatiable wants of this brigade for among them our story lies they proved themselves good soldiers to a man in their zeal to refresh and strengthen themselves against the next campaign by enjoying to the full every good thing within their reach the officers especially ransacked the country for every commodity that could promote enjoyment and what alemtejo could not furnish lisbon and london must provide nothing was too costly for their purses no place too distant for their search doubtless the veterans of the greatest of all great captains were permitted for a time to run a free and joyous career in capua and this brigade besides having a little corner of portugal to themselves somewhat out of sight of the commander-in-chief and of sir roland hill enjoyed the further advantage of being led by a good soldier in the field and a free liver in garrison and camp who looked upon his men in winter quarters after a hard campaign somewhat in the light of schoolboys in the holidays and was willing to see the lads enjoy themselves freely lord strathern a veteran somewhat the worse for wear had entered the army a cadet of a scotch family more noble than rich at length the obliging death of a cousin brought him a scotch peerage and an estate little adequate to support that dignity high rank and a narrow estate form an inconvenient union so he stuck to the profession which he loved and being a widower entrusted his only child a daughter to a sister in scotland though he had seen little of domestic life he was an affectionate man the briskness of the last campaign and the number of his friends who dropped off in the course of it strongly warned him that if he would once again see his daughter now attaining womanhood it would be well to lose no time about it 
so one morning during the retreat from burgos after issuing the brigade orders for the day he penned an order to his sister in scotland to send out the young lady with proper attendance under the care of the wife of any officer of rank who might be sailing for lisbon there she would be within reach and he might find leisure to visit her his sister would have protested against this had she had an opportunity but the order of the father and the affectionate and adventurous spirit of the daughter at once decided the matter on her arrival however in lisbon her father was too busy establishing his brigade in comfortable quarters to meet her there and the military horizon giving promise of a quiet winter he summoned her to join him at elvis the brigade had been for some weeks living in clover in their modern capua when lady mabel stuart joined her father a portuguese provincial town with its filthy streets and squalid populace could be no agreeable place of residence to a british lady lord strathern felt this and looking about him found a large building in the midst of an orchard without the walls of elvis and more than half way down the hill it had been erected by one of the monastic societies of the city as a place of occasional retirement for pleasure or devotion or both the french had summarily turned them out of it five years before and so thoroughly plundered them at the same time that they had not since found heart or means to repair and refurnish it accordingly it was a good deal dilapidated but the refectory and the kitchen took his lordship's eye the former could dine half the officers of the brigade at a time and the latter allowed abundant elbow-room to cooks and scullions while preparing the feast so here he established the headquarters of his brigade and here lady mabel stuart made her appearance in the new dignity of womanhood to preside over his household End of chapter one